Reis. Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I'm your host, Scott Dr. Jake Skolfein, musicologist and author of Everything is on the One, The First Guide to Funk. If you don't have your copy, get on over to Amazon to pick one up. You'll be so glad you did. Whether you're watching the video version of this at FunkinStuff.net or on YouTube or listening to the audio-only podcast version from providers like iTunes and Spotify, as always, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in the show. Speaking of which, if you haven't already done so, subscribe to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives. All kinds of goodies you'll get uh, early premieres, and it's all free, so make sure you sign up. Tell a friend. Tell family. Also, get your official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff gear at the FunkinStuff.net store. Cool stuff like I'm wearing right here. Truth and Rhythm shirts. Show your support and love of the show and also the musicians and the music that they represent. Um, also want to give a shout out to the Funk Exhibition Center and Hall of Fame in Dayton, Ohio, of which I'm very proud to be an official Funk Ambassador. Go to thefunkcenter.org to learn more and keep the funk alive. And now, with all that, it's time to get on with the show. Enjoy. I am pleased to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership saxophonist Greg Thomas, a member of the P-Funk Horns, who has spent more than 40 years recording and performing with George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic, as well as many other famous artists. Notably, he's also the longtime featured vocalist on stage for P-Funk's monster classic, Not Just Knee Deep. Greg, <laughs> what's going on? Hey, How are you? I'm great. How are you, Scott? I'm good. How's Welcome everybody? to the show. <laughs> Great, man. Yeah. So yeah. we were talking, and you're you're coming to us from uh, New Orleans, right? New Orleans, yeah, yeah. And that's home. Yeah, man. Mardi Gras. Los Angeles. Yeah. So when was Fat Tuesday? Has that happened already, or? Yeah. Yeah. Last week. Yeah. Tuesday. Yeah, last Tuesday. <laughs> ne ne never I've been there a few I've been there a number of times but never for Mardi Gras. Yes, fun man. Fun time. <laughs> fun time. Yeah, well, man. Good to see you survived another one. Yeah. So New Orleans is home, right? For for a while for you or Well, we got a we got a couple things lined up in LA and Florida coming up in early March. And then we're going to fill in some dates in March and April and uh, keep touring. But at first, uh, at first he was going to stop, but he decided he wanted to keep going. Mr. Clinton. Yeah, it got, it got too good again, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he can't stay off stage. It's too good. <laughs> well, we don't want him to, that's for sure. Right, right. Yeah, man. So, but Greg, home for you is where? Home for me is Los Angeles. Okay. And how long have you lived there? Oh, 2020, 2020, 20-some odd years. Yeah. I'm originally from Baltimore, Maryland. Mm-hmm. BMO. BMO. Yeah. Yeah, you're part of that uh, BMO contingency, right, that yep. came up? As like a next generation of, of P-Funk. Yep. Yeah, man. Yeah. How, how'd you yeah. first get into uh, music and, and playing playing horns? Well, um, my father was a clarinetist saxophone player. So me and my brother used to watch him 
and we got started when, in grade school, and we played, you know, through grade school, all through college, and on to now. My brother's a saxophonist also, uh, Joseph Thomas, Jr. What, yeah. Does he play uh, more jazz, or what, what, what was his uh, He plays blues and R&B. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I try to cover the whole gambit, whatever the, whatever the party calls for, you know, <laughs> jazz, bar mitzvahs, bat mitzvahs, you know? Yeah. Have horn will travel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. So what, what was your experiences, uh, you know, performing before uh, you connected with PFUNK? Well, like I said, I, I started playing in grade school, and uh, we I started performing in bands around 11. Uh, me and my brother and my father used to manage us, so we used to play all over the city and all over the state of Maryland and even, you know, Jersey and things like that, When you know, when I was younger. So I've been playing in bands since 11 years old. Wow. And did you have any uh, professional experience before uh, the, the Parliament connection? Well, I consider professional uh, experience when you make money playing music. I was doing that at 11 and 12, so that's wow. professional experience. <laughs> we, we played cabarets, parties, you know, things of that sort. Were you uh, yeah. were you playing funk even then, or more? Uh... Oh, we were playing a little bit of everything. We were playing pop, R and B, you know, everything, jazz. Yeah. And so, were you friends and playing with people like uh, Benny and and Greg, and uh, b before you actually got with with Pifa? Well, me and me and Benny went to the same elementary school and then uh we went to the same junior high school back there, then they called it junior high not middle school right so we we went from seven to nine then we went to high school in 10th grade uh i went to baltimore polytechnic institute which was a engineering school and uh benny went to the school school for the arts mm -hmm. douglas high school so we, we took separate paths in high school. And then, uh, you know, he went off to college and I went off to college. I went to Coppin State College in Baltimore. I have a degree, a bachelor's in chemistry. Wow. And uh, so, I, you know, I went to school and uh, got my degree. And when I came out of school, I got a job working for the Department of Water Resources in Annapolis, Maryland. And I did that. All the while, I was still playing in, in bands, you know, local groups and things of that sort. Me and my brother played together for a long time. And uh, after, you know, after working, I stopped doing that, and then I started teaching school. I taught eighth grade science for a little while. Then after that, I got, play, I got, I got called to play the funk. <laughs> so... Uh, uh, me and Benny had a group, and Greg Boyer, we had a group. So uh, that group we had broke up. So we got a call from uh, my bass player friend that played with me in Baltimore, Rodney Skeet Curtis. So he played with P-Funk first, and uh, they had an opening. So we he called me up, and he said, Greg, we're going to need some horns. So... This is what I want you to learn, all of this stuff. So we learned all the music, and then we did an audition, and uh, they called us after that. This was in March of 78. Yeah. So you also play flute, right? And what what else? I'll play all the woodwinds, flute, little flute, oboe, clarinet, all the saxes. Yeah. And who are your big influences, the usual suspects like Maceo and guys like Yeah, that? the usual cats, uh, Cannonball, Adderley, Parker, Coltrane, Maceo, you know, yeah, those guys, King Curtis. Right. You know, yeah. 
Do you remember the the first uh, like P Funk song that you had to uh, get through in order to show that you had the chops? I guess the Mothership Connection. Yeah, you know we had to we had to learn a, a whole set of stuff. You know, uh, Skeet gave us a list of tunes. He just said, "Be ready." No, this, 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 and we had we had about two weeks to learn everything. So we got in the shed, me, Greg, and Benny, and we. Rehearsed and learned the stuff, and then we went and did an audition. They came to Baltimore. We did an audition in the hotel room. Back there, then we were rehearsing in the in the rooms, in the hotel rooms. The guys would bring the little little pig nose amps, and the drummer would beat on the telephone book. You know that was a long time ago. Telephone book. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, the singers would come in. Everybody would get in the hotel room and jam. So that's that's how we did the audition. Wow! And what was the audition for uh, for like, P Funk? Yeah, but who was the main person? Like, you know, was it what was it Fred or Maceo or George or? No, Fred Maceo was doing Bootsy at the time. So Bootsy was doing his thing, so it was a void in the horn. So that's why we got the call. They needed. P-Funk needed somebody to play horns. Fred Maceo and them were busy with Bootsy. Yeah. So we had to come fill the void. But Greg, who did you actually audition in front of for? We we auditioned in front of the whole band at a rehearsal. Oh, okay. You know, yeah. So Bernie Wolverell was there and, you know, Michael Hampton was there. All, all the guys were there. George wasn't there. You know, the road manager was there. Gary so Scheider. everybody, you know, they liked what we were doing. Gary Scheider was there. Yeah. Yeah. Were you nervous? No. <laughs> no, because, I mean, when you've been doing it all your life, what's to be nervous about? How big of a fan were you before, you know, getting the gig? Big fan, big fan. I had all, the, you know, a lot of the records. Not all the records, but I had a lot of the records. And in uh, our local band, we used to play a couple of Parliament songs, so we were familiar with the stuff, you know. Yeah. And had you seen the Mothership or any of those shows before? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, we went to the local the local venue in Baltimore at the time was the Baltimore Civic Center. And uh, yeah, we went there to see them, and we saw the ship land and all of that. It was amazing. Yeah, blew your mind. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. what was the first uh, gig that you played with them? Oh, the first gig I think was uh, Huntsville, Alabama. Yeah, it was in March of '78. March of 78. So you're playing the like funky teleki stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. It was good stuff. <laughs> had, had, had a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so was that. Was yeah. Yeah. That's your funky teleki right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So those shows were like marathons, so man, were you were your lips up to the task or you had to get some endurance up? Oh no, well, you know, like I said, I've been playing for a long time. So, you know, it's just natural to do what we do, you know. Now now you might you might ask that question of the brass player, Benny and Greg, you know, their lips get a little more tired tireder, if that's a word, more stressed than a saxophone player. So, you know, um, but back there, then they were young and full of energy. They were, they were playing all kind of notes <laughs> back there, then. They still do. <laughs> yeah, I remember, uh, especially Greg was always, like, all over the place. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's playing with Maceo Parker right now. Yeah. Him and uh, Skeet, Rodney Skeet Curtis, they're playing with Maceo right now. Wow, that's a nice little band right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I think you were at the um, 
I was at the show at the Starwood in 1978, I think it was, with the Brides' like first show. Yeah. In that, like tiny hot box, uh, awesome show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'll yeah. never forget that. The anti-tour. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, yep, that was, oof. it was a sweat house. <laughs> <laughs> what blew me away, man, I was on a funk high for that whole week. Yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> I know what you mean, man. We had a good time with it. Yeah, yeah. so what were your impressions of uh, some of those guys, though, that were in the band that you first got to know, you know, getting to know Bernie and George and those wow. guys what stood out to you well you know it was just amazing to see Bernie's expertise you know and and the, the way he could hear all those things and then when he heard us you know he liked what we were doing you know he didn't really have to say much because <laughs> we had all the voices correct and you know things of that sort but it was great to see him and great to see Gary Scheider just his command of the stage and his vocal ability and and Michael Hampton, he was just phenomenal, you know. And uh, Cordell Boogie, Mawson, mm -hmm. all of those guys, you know, great, man. Jerome Braley, great. Guys, uh, and the ladies, all the ladies, the vocals were really tight, you know. You know, I, I, I started singing, you know, I was playing at first, but I couldn't just play. I had to sing a little, too. And they found out I could sing, and they kind of said, go ahead, go ahead, <laughs> do your thing. <laughs> Did you start out doing the Felipe Wynn thing, uh, or? No, no, uh, Felipe Wynn started out doing it, <laughs> you know, and then he was with us for a while after the Spinners thing, and George produced uh, his, his record, I think it was called Wind Jamming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, George produced his record, and uh, George asked him to come out on the road with us, you know, and uh, he, he, had, he had recorded Knee Deep in the studio with us, you know, so George naturally asked him to come out, and he, he came out, and we had a good time. He, he did, uh, you know, the Knee Deep thing, and then he did a couple of songs from his, you know, some of his hits, Sadie and things of that sort. You know, and uh, I remember the, the, the guys didn't really want to play bass on his stuff because it was doo-wop. I don't know. So anyway, I played bass and keyboard, so I jumped up and played bass on, on uh, when, when he did Sadie. Oh, yeah? <laughs> I played bass. I said, it just enhances my stuff when I can do different things. So I went and played bass on that, and he did a couple other songs. Yeah. But it was really fun working with Felipe. When was, when was the first time, though, that you stepped up to do that part on stage? Do you oh, wow. It was a while ago. I don't remember, but I think I was fooling around at a rehearsal, and I did it, and they liked it. And George said, come on. From then on, he, you know, you know, he allowed me to do it. And that's one thing I like about George. Uh, He's not afraid to share the stage with the rest of the guys. You know, how you have some artists, their group, and they, you know, they just, it's about just them. That's never been with George. He's always shared the stage, you know, with the other artists. And if he saw talent, you know, he would like to let them show their abilities, you know. That's a good thing about George. I think I first saw you doing it back in the 90s. Yeah. 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 Long time. <laughs> yeah. Long time. Do you remember what was the first uh, recording that you got to be on with uh, P-Funk? Oh, probably some Parlet stuff. Uh, more Rump to Bump and a couple other things. And and uh, we, did a, we did a lot of stuff. Party people. We did Big Bang Theory. We did a lot of different things. Yeah, I'd have to look. I'd have to look back and see. But we we did so much stuff, I, you know. And we were always in the studio, so you know, it's like they would call us in. We'd do some things, you know. And then he, you know, he 
sometimes you wouldn't hear the song for a while, and then later you say, oh, we're doing this on The Bride for Funkenstein, or we're doing this on Parlay, or we're doing this on P-Funk, you know. So we did a we we did a stockpile of songs. Yeah. Were you, were you typically just uh, the horn section listening to tracks and playing, or who would usually be in the studio with you guys? Well, usually he would be in there, and uh, if he wanted us to arrange something, you know, we would get together and arrange it. You know, uh, I would do some arrangements. Greg Boyer would do some arrangements. Benny Cowan would do some arrangements. You know, we all worked together and made it work out. We did, you know, we worked real, real well together. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And who decided you would just call it the P-Funk Horns? Was that? Uh, well, we, you know, the, the horn sections they had before had names. You know, they had the horny horns and they had the corny horns. And then... Uh, so it's just easier, the P-Funk horns, <laughs> you know. That's what we decided, and that's what we went with. Did, did you guys consciously try to do anything distinctive or different from, say, the horny horns, so it would seem like you had your own sound? Well, we did have our own sound, but the horny horns was four horns. Uh, Rick Gardner. Kush, Rich, Rick Gardner played trumpet, Kush Griffith played trumpet, Maceo played sax, and Fred played trombone. So that was four horns. So you can do more with four horns. And P-Funk horns was three horns. Uh, Benny Cowan on trumpet, myself, Greg Thomas on sax, and Greg Boyer on trombone. So we made it work with the three. And uh, now playing it forward, it's just two of us, myself and Benny Cowan. So we do it with us, just just us two. Yeah, you've been doing it just two for a while now. Greg left uh, how many yeah. years ago now? Yeah, about 10, 12 years ago. So I, I don't know specifically, something like that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Is, that, is that more challenging to just do it with the two? Well, um, it wasn't that much of a challenge. I just had to change the voicings. You know, I had to change the voicings to fill up the section. So uh, usually, Benny would play the higher note and I'd play the lower note. And that, that makes the section sound full. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So me and him sound like three or four because of the way we voice the horns. What about, do you have uh, like Danny fill in at all on keys to kind of help uh, beef, no. up, beef it up at all? No. no. No, not too much. He hmm. sticks to what he does. And, and that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Keyboard players trying to play horn parts. <laughs> they never get it right. And they don't enunciate they don't enunciate the way we do. Right, yeah. I always tell them, stay in your lane. You play <laughs> the chords, let us do what we do. <laughs> that was like the whole thing of the, the wave of the 80s, you know, in with the synths and out with the horns. And, man, a lot of funk suffered because of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you a story. We were... Me and Benny were playing with the Gap Band. And uh, me, Benny, and my friend Steve Baxter, trombone, out of Los Angeles. And uh, so we played with the Gap Band for a while, and then uh, we had to go to Europe with P-Funk. So the Gap Band had a few dates, and we had more dates with George. So we went to play with P-Funk. When we came back, the Gap Band said, oh, we don't, we don't need you no more. <laughs> so they had four keyboard players anyway. So the keyboard players started playing the horn parts. I said, well, okay, good luck to you. Cool. <laughs> How long ago was that? Oh, man. That was about at least 15 years ago. 
I know I saw people like in the eighties, like the Ohio players without horns, and yeah. I was just like, oh man, come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you got your horn bands, and then you got your other bands, but but uh, keyboard horns always sound eh, to me. Ah. <laughs> yeah. I hate to see him go with uh, Cameo too in the eighties. Yeah. 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 We play with Cameo too. <laughs> what when uh when you got into P Funk, I mean it was still at its height, you know, uh from yeah. like seventy eight until eighty, it was still at its peak basically. Was there a show that stands out to you that like you know, with the giant crowd or maybe overseas or something that you remember? Uh, Soldier Field in, in 78. That was an enormous show. A lot of people, big crowd, amazing. Was that like a funk festival type of show? Yeah, it was, it was at Soldier Field, Chicago. Uh-huh. Yeah, plenty of folks, big party. Yeah. <laughs> Does it make any difference to you playing wise, whether it's, you know, what size the crowd is? Say that again. Do you adjust in any way, depending on like how big of a venue it is, what you do? Not really, I, you know. I perform for the people, you know. I give them eye contact, whether it's two people or fifty thousand. <laughs> you know, I I just perform, you know. But that's because I started out so young performing. You know, it's 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 second nature to me. You know, performing. We we've been doing it since we were pups. <laughs> <laughs> How how long have you had that sax right there? Woo! Long time. <laughs> I'm due to due to make a change maybe this year, but if it ain't broke, you know. Did Did you have that one all the way back in the late seventies? No, uh, I was playing tenor in the, in the late 70s. I switched over to alto years later. I think I can do more range-wise with the alto than the tenor. Uh, nothing to do with Greg's departure? You just made that switch? Yeah, I made that switch. Uh, they didn't like it too much. <laughs> but it was my choice, not theirs. <laughs> Yeah. So in the uh, early 80s, things kind of started to slow down for P-Funk, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What What was your experience of that? You know, what, you know, why did things, why did things fall off and how did that impact you? Well, uh, it affected me tremendously. Um, we were working on things and, uh, it all started because of a mishap with uh, Roger Trotman and the record companies. Uh, George was with Warners and George was with Columbia. He had his own label, Uncle Jam Records. And something went on with the master tape. It disappeared. They thought George had something to do with it. So they blackballed the group and we couldn't work we went you know he was in litigation for a while we couldn't work for a couple of years so you know I had to go back and uh, you know work work uh, you know get a regular job and you know do other things you know it impacted everybody and uh, when he came back he came back uh, a solo deal with I think Capitol Records was George Clinton, and uh, that's when it kind of picked back up. But it, it impacted everybody, hardship-wise. Yeah, well, that was a terrible time for the fans, too, you know? I mean... Yeah. yeah. 
Um, yeah. So did you go play with other acts or just? Oh. Well, I've, I, you know, like I said, I've, I've played with so many different acts. I've played with Evelyn King, you know, me and Benny played with the Gap Band. We played with Cameo, you know, played with a lot of different artists. Recorded with Peter Wolf from Jay Gow's band. Mm -hmm. uh, I worked with M. Toomey, James M. Toomey, mm -hmm. you know, the, the people that put out Juicy Fruit. Yeah. Yeah, me and Benny played with Tume for a while. We, you know, we we did a lot of things. Yeah, so you brought a, a bit of that P to like different different acts, which is oh yeah, that's a cool thing too. Um, yeah, I was looking at um, I think I have it here, like uh, some of the people you, you mentioned, but um, also Chuck Brown, the Soul Searchers. Oh yeah, we played with Chuck. You know, D.C. is home. Baltimore is home, but D.C. is home, too, because I moved to D.C. in the 80s. So, uh, you know, I started playing with the Go-Go bands. You know, uh, first Go-Go band I played with was Clockwork. My man Jerry Wilder was a bass player, and Mousy, Mousy Thompson plays drums with, played drums for the last James Brown band. So uh, he had the group Clockwork, and I played with that group. And then from there, we, you know, I met up with Chuck Brown, and Glenn Ellis was the bass player for Chuck Brown, and we we hit it off. So uh, I brought Greg and Benny into the Chuck Brown thing, and we played with Chuck off and on about seven or eight years mm -hmm. in between the P-Funk stuff. How was that? How was that experience for that band different from P Funk? Say that again. How was that experience and band different from that of P Funk? Oh well, Go Go is. Whew, you gotta hear it. You know, once you hear it, you know it. It's 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 a specific beat. It varies a little, but it's just a a street sound. You know, it's a local street sound, and DC is known for it, and. Uh, the people in Baltimore don't get it, but the people in D.C. get it. And uh, it's, it's just a good, fun time. It's a good, fun time. Yeah, it's funny. It's so close geographically, but still separate yeah. on that. So right? it's like 35, 35 miles. Baltimore's 35 miles north of D.C., you know. They still don't get the go-go stuff, but, you know. Yeah, it's funny because I remember when they were talking about Go-Go being like the next big thing in yeah. black music, and then it never really kind of got to where they thought it might get outside of yeah. DC. Yeah. Well, it did, a, it, it did a little bit. Chuck Brown did Bustin' Loose. That was a pretty big record. And We Need Money. And then uh, another Go-Go group, EU, Experience Unlimited. To Spike Lee, Spike Lee yeah. put them in his movie. And you know, and the, the the big hit was doing the butt. Mm -hmm. So the butt was a big nationwide hit, you know, because the movie was big. So that bought Go Go kind of nationwide after Chuck it bought it a little bit. So that took it a little a little further. Yeah. So people do recognize Go Go. The Go Go got so popular. Uh, it went across the water to, to Holland. Uh, one of our alumnus, Boogie Marson, bass player, guitar player, him and Clip Payne produced a group in Holland called Gotcha. Mm -hmm. And Gotcha was a go-go band. So, you know, they learned all the go-go stuff from DC and they brought it over to Holland and they made it big mm -hmm. over there. Yeah. I remember I had a, a Trouble Funk record, too, I think, that Bootsy appeared on. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Big Tony and Trouble Funk. Yeah, I'm yeah. hoping to have him on this show, actually, very soon, Big Tony. Big Tony, yeah. yeah. Tell him Greg Thomas said hello. Okay, I will. <laughs> yeah, that's my man. He actually heard it. He was going to come on, but he hurt his leg, so he's uh, recovering right now. 
Yeah, I saw I saw he had posted on the internet, you know, some things, you know, we're praying for him. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So you also uh, on here is uh, Stanley Carter. Oh, yeah, yeah. We played uh, on Stanley's album. Uh, I forget the name of that tune. You probably got it over there. Well, the album's Time Exposure, but I'm not sure what track. Yeah. Um, Speedball. Okay. That's Yeah, that's what it was called. Yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool working with Stanley. How'd that connection happen? Oh, I really don't even remember. I think somebody just called. I was doing a lot of stuff in New York. And uh, I think somebody had contacted him to me. I forget how it happened. But they got in touch with me and we, we, did, the, we did a session for him. Was, were most of your gigs sort of just word of mouth or did you have like a manager or somebody trying to get you work uh depends on the period you're talking uh from my childhood years my father managed us and then he stopped managing us and then we started managing ourselves then when we got in college high school and college uh, my brother's my brother's friend herb smith used to manage us and we used to do things <clears throat> Then uh, when we got in college, me and Benny and Greg, you know, we we joined this other group. And we had different managers. And then we joined P-Funk. They had already their management. So that's how that worked. I haven't really had to, you know, have a manager book shows. But, but like now, you know, I book my own shows, basically. You know, I'll... You know, I, I'm like I'm in New Orleans now. I play with a couple of bands down here, and um, you know, when I'm not working with P Funk, you know, I tr I'm all over nationwide. Yeah. Uh, also on here, this list of Stephanie Mills, Snoop Dogg. Yeah, it did. Uh, back in the day, I worked with them. Tume Lucas, you know, they they were producers. They produced Roberta Flack, Donny Hathaway, Back Together Again, and Tillery. You know, they they produced a lot of things, and I would be an arranger. I wouldn't play. I would I would write the charts and go in and direct the union horn players. Mm -hmm. So I did arrangements for like Stephanie Mills. I did a cut called Winner. I did a cut called Last Night. You know, I did some stuff for the Spinners with Antume. You know, I did, I did a couple of things. Mark Sedane was one of his artists. Did a lot of things. And, and some stuff for Antume, Antume projects. I think, um, you know, when you talk about performing, composing, producing, arranging is the one that sort of doesn't get talked about as much, but it's so key, especially in funk, I think. Yeah, yeah, it is. You got to, you know, you got to know what kind of feel you want. And, you know, you got to know how to put it together, you know. And, uh, you know, you got to put your ear to the, keep your ear to the ground to see what's popping, you know. And then you got to be innovative and come up with your own stuff. Keep being creative, you know. Yeah. Yeah, do you enjoy that almost as much as playing? Oh, well, I like playing mostly. Yeah. I really like that. Just performing for the folks. Um, so Al Green, Ike Turner is on here. Um. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, uh, one of my old friends that sang in my group, we had a, we had a, a local group, me and Skeet and Dennis Chambers, my brother, we had a group called Uncle Remus, and we had the guy named Eban Kelly. He was one of our lead singers. He started doing some productions, and he got us hooked up with uh, Al Green, and we did we did we did some uh, some stuff on Al Green's projects. Was that before or after P Funk? During. During. Yeah. So a little moonlighting happening. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, like I, I've been with P-Funk 40-plus years, so it's so a, yeah. lot, a lot in, you know, 
that's a wide span. So you got a, you know, a lot of things in there. Right. Yeah. I, I was looking at the, uh, the credits. So, and it, according to this, you only, uh, appeared on one of George's capital albums or were you on other ones? Uh, we were on stuff. I, I can't, I don't have everything in front of me. You probably would have to go to Discogs or something like that and look it up, you know, but we're on so much stuff. It's, it's no, you know, but like his capital records, it just shows that you're on one of only one of those solo records of his. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we might've, I can't remember all of that stuff. I just know we were on a lot of stuff and you know, what George would do, he would, he would cut stuff. You know, we were always in the studio. He would cut stuff on different artists and on him, whether he wanted to use it for himself or another project. So, you know, music was stockpiled in the studio. Yeah. So he would go in and say, hmm, let me pull this off the shelf and listen to that. Okay, we'll put that out on blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we want, we want a lot of stuff. Uh, the Horny Horns want a lot of stuff. Some other Detroit musicians want a lot of stuff. We did a lot of the recording at United Sound in Detroit. You know, so we did a lot of things. You know, too many to remember. <laughs> yeah, probably a lot that we still haven't heard, right? Yeah. 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 He's still got stuff on the shelf. <laughs> When did you get back full swing, you know, in performing with them? Was it the late 80s, early 90s? I think it was like 82, something that... like that. Yeah, we we were defunct for about two years. And then things picked back up. Yeah. So were you on that Atomic Dog tour? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was on all the tours. Beverly Theater? Since... All the tours since the like the late seventies. So that Beverly Theater show that came out later live because I was at that show. The Beverly Theater. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, man, that's a memorable one. People still play that. That's a lot of people's favorite CD album. Yeah. The Beverly Theater live. Yeah. Yeah, you guys blew the roof off that place. Yeah. Yeah. Prince showed up at that show backstage. He wouldn't talk. <laughs> he gave one word answers. I said, how you doing? Okay. I said, you going to play? Maybe. You know, he, 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 he would never string a sentence, you know, <laughs> a complete sentence. He was a one answer man, one word answer. <laughs> he I was think, cool though. I think some people didn't even get that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you know, he was backstage, you know, trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, this was before he was really, you know, Prince. He was, you know. He was taking notes, man. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, and Bootsy came out, uh, did a little cameo thing during that show. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Man, I still, I put that CD on it. Oh, man. Brings back memories. <laughs> yeah, I think Skeet, uh, Skeet told me it's his very favorite show or tour or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I see why. Because he, he, was, he was frying it up. He was playing <laughs> a lot of stuff. <laughs> he still is. Yeah. Yeah, man. But during the 80s, though, there was at some point, there wasn't as many shows, like, after that, because, uh, like, from 86 to 89, I know George didn't put out much in terms of records, and it just seemed like, in the early 90s, you know, P-Funk was, like, regularly just touring all the time again. Yeah, well, you know, things happen, and you got to keep moving, you know, he kept it moving, you know, we went through the trials and tribulations and kept it going, you know, but that's, that's what I liked about what he did. You know, he, he found, you know, people that were loyal to the group and, you know, and talented and he stuck with those people, 
you know, he didn't he didn't change a whole lot of people, you know, like some groups, you know, you look up, you know, it's different people, <laughs> you know, um, although, you know, we've changed over the years because some people have passed on and, and some people have done other things, but you got to keep it going. So you bring in, you know, fresh talent, younger talent. And that's what we're doing now. We got the third generation P Funk playing with us now. The granddaughters and the grandsons and yeah. That must be a trip to have seen that evolution firsthand like you have. Yeah. You know, you got it was it, it's good to, you know, try different things and you know, George has always been a trailblazer with that. But you got some old some of the old P Funk kids, you know, they don't some of them don't like it, you know. Some of them like it, but you know you gotta, yeah, you gotta try new things. Just you know, see what sticks, you know. And, uh, and that's what I like about George. He tries new things, you know. And whatever it is, you know, some fans like it, some fans don't. But you you gotta be true to who you are. Well, some of the guys that came in along the way, I mean, have really come into their own. Like you know, Danny Bedrosian or. Garrett Scheider uh, right. or um, Benzel and drums. I mean, these guys have stepped up and really evolved within the band. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I remember when uh, Danny first came, he was, a, you know, a keyboard tech and he came in, you know, humble guy, but he always was a, you know, classical genius. He comes from, you know, classically trained parents mom and dad are classical piano teachers so he's a virtuoso in his you know by you know in his own right and then you know he got to meet bernie and work with bernie and our other keyboard player at the time jerome rogers he's, so he you know he learned a lot and then he, you know he was a tech and then he eventually moved into you know one of the keyboard chairs he did that well and uh i mean Ben Zell, that's that's Benny's son, the trumpet player's son. So I mean, I, I mean, I've seen him, you know, when he, you know, when he was a little kid, when he was born, and you know, uh, I remember when he was like sixteen or so, we played Woodstock '90, and he played at Woodstock with us. You know, <laughs> I could yeah. see then he was he was up and coming, and now he's a super drummer. For us, we're glad to have him. Out of energy, and he never stops. <laughs> and Garrett Scheider, that's Gary Scheider's son, uh, saw him grow up too as a little kid, and now he's you know nice young man. He's he's got his own stuff going. You know, you, you know he's doing quite well. Yeah, I'm impressed yeah. with his two albums also. Yeah. 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 Um, and then, like you said, those threads, though, are still there to keep the continuity. So with, like, you and Benny and Lige and right. uh, and Blackbird. Yeah, and Clip Payne and Mudbone. And Mudbone, yeah. Yeah. We try to hold it down, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we hold it down. Yes, sir. So do you have a favorite... Uh, I'm, I'm thinking maybe you're going to say knee deep because you get to do your thing on that. But is there another like favorite track that you have to, to perform? Well, I like, uh, I like funk and Tullucky when he calls it. <laughs> I like aqua boogie when he calls it, <laughs> you know, I like the whole catalog, but you know, you do have your favorites, you know? Yeah, I like Maggot Brain. You know, Even we got you Black Night. <laughs> we got Black Night playing that. You know, he's he's doing it up. You know, uh, Eddie Hazel did a great job. Michael Hampton did a great job. Now we got Black Night holding it down. Do you ever get tired of playing any of those, like you know, Atomic Dogs and things like? You ever get tired of playing any of those? You never get tired of playing it. As long as you have fans, you got to do what the, you got to give the, the people what they want. The fans want to hear the hits. 
you got to give them the hits. And if you if you have new stuff, you can spring new stuff on them, but you got to throw the hits in there too or they will not be satisfied. They'll tell you. And we've done some shows where, you know, our fans are spoiled. They so used to us doing two two hours or more. <laughs> and when they don't get it, they get they they you know, they're upset. You know, like we, we did this one tour not too long last year and they had like about three other acts on before us. So basically we only got about an hour, an hour fifteen to perform. So we had to, you know, cram all of those tunes. They put about three acts on before us. Might have been four. And you know, it was cool, but it wasn't cool for me, but I wasn't in control. So you just do your job. That's what you got to do. You do your job, and then you, you know, you get off stage. But uh, I was so, at the show. Do you remember being the, in, in Greensboro? Yeah, but like the people, you know, I talked to. I always talked to the to the fans after the show, and they were like, "Yeah, it was cool, but." We didn't hear this song, we didn't hear this song, because they used to hearing what we do. And when you have other groups on the show, it takes away from your time. So, you know, that's what happened. I well, didn't care. Well, I, I try to tell people too, especially a lot of those places have curfews. So yeah. you guys can't go that late, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But but between you and me, I just think they had too many acts on the show. You know. And uh it's not up to me. You got to do your job. Yeah. The show I went to was actually in, in, like I said, Greensboro. I took my son, who's 15. I told you yeah. to play sax. That was his first P-Funk show. Yeah. How so did you like it? He loved him. He was also, uh, got to see Fishbone Galactic. Right, right, right. Um, but I told him yeah, about so you like because you're the alto sax player, you know, and, and you were actually, we were like in second row. You were right there. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah. yeah, but so you were there. You you understand? It was it was just too many acts on the show. Oh, definitely. For for us to give the fans really what we need to give them, you know. But like I said, it wasn't up to me. You know, I I you know, I'm one of the guys. <laughs> hey man, you guys are just getting warmed up at the one hour mark, usually. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Man, we we played uh, Tipitina's. One time we played, we played about five hours. We played till the sun came up yeah. in uh, in New Orleans. You know, <laughs> people still talk about that show, and you know we used to play a long time. So our fans are kind of spoiled. So, so if 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 we got an hour to do, George is good. He'll you know he'll chop up the show and pick and choose what he wants to do, and you know. We'll get it in. If we do an hour, we'll do it. But the fans probably won't like it as much because we don't get to stretch on the songs, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He'll do a snippet of a song and then he'll stop and then he'll go into something else, do a snippet, stop, you know. Yeah. Well, that show definitely cut into your sax, your playing time, personally. I, I know... You do a lot more usually on the shows than that one. Yeah. Yes, sir. I try to, you know, just do what I can <laughs> to make the show go. Yeah. Soldier for the Funk Army, man. Yes, sir. Um, what, what would you say is George Clinton's greatest talent? Mm. Um, the way... He sees his vision, the way he puts things together. See, and what's so amazing about him is he doesn't play an instrument at all, but he has great ears. Like he'll sing a line and he'll say, play that. Or, or either, you know, the people will come up with some tracks and then he'll put a concept on top of it. He's fantastic when it comes to putting together a project. 
you know, phenomenal for a guy that doesn't play anything. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Just uh, some gift he was born with, you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Is it up to George whether you guys decide to throw in something new in the set, like, you know, like you play the Goose or some other track that maybe you haven't played in a while, um, Funkadelic-y, whatever? Well, um, he has the last word, but sometime he's on stage, and after we finish the song, we'll see him thinking, what am I going to do next? And then he'll call a song, or either somebody might play something and make him jump into it. Like Lodge, our bass player, he might break into Mr. Wiggles. So once he breaks into it, George will say, yeah, yeah. So then we do that. Or, you know, somebody else might sing something or play something. And then he'll say, yeah, let's go into that. So, you know, he's pretty versatile. Like, I remember, um, like, when you guys added butt-to-butt -butt resuscitation as, like, the opener. Is that, like, something where he said, you know, I want to get back and do that again? Or how's that kind of thing usually come about for this set list? Well, it's just, you know, his concept, what he would come up with, you know, he would just say, we ready to do this, you know, let's go with it. Do you guys rehearse it much? <clears throat> well, we rehearse when we needed to. You know, like if we had to put something together special, we would do a rehearsal. You know, he would tell us to listen to something or put it together. You know, like we had to do some stuff for the Grammys. We did a we did a thing with the Red Hot Chili Peppers in the, at the Grammys one year. And then one year, we had to do... The director of the Grammys, it was his idea to have all these different groups perform with the different groups. So we were performing with other groups, Robert Randolph and Earth, Wind and & Fire and things of that sort. I, I didn't necessarily like that production because I thought everybody should have performed their own music, you know, a small segment at a time. You know, it, it worked out, but it wasn't. It wasn't what I would have done. Yeah, they've been big on doing that kind of thing with the Grammys for yeah several yeah. years now. Yeah. Is there any like TV appearance that like stands out to you that was like uh, something funny happened or just was special for some reason? Uh, I just outstanding shows we did. Uh, I just remember the outstanding shows. We did some shows with with David Letterman, David Letterman's show. Uh, P. Funk Horns performed on Arsenio's show. And then P. Funk performed on Arsenio Hall's show. You know, uh, we did different things. Those shows, stuck up, those shows stuck out in my mind. Yeah. You ever hear like something you played on on the radio, and was was that kind of a kick and cool when you first heard maybe a track that had you on it? Oh yeah, you know a lot of stuff. You know, a uh, couple of P Funk songs, and they even played the P Funk Live stuff, and then Chuck Brown stuff. You know, <clears throat> a lot of things make you say, "Oh wow, yeah." <laughs> a lot of things, yeah. So is George going to, I mean, at, at some point, George is going to have to retire. I mean. Yeah. yeah. At some point. Yeah. Like he said, he was going to, then he changed his mind. But I don't really think he made a big public announcement. I'm back. But I think he should do it because people ask me, you know, some people still ask me, is he retiring? I thought he was retiring. No, he's back at it. <laughs> I feel like maybe that Lifetime Achievement Award kind of reinvigorated. Oh yeah, that yeah. was that was a that was a nice celebratory experience, you know. Yeah, Snoop uh, brought us on. 
It was interesting. It was a, quite an honor. Uh, quite an honor and, and quite about time, right? Yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> well, you know, you know how they do the funk. You know, it's, it's different. Did you ever think that it'd still be going these 40 years later? Well, um, I just know he's tenacious with whatever he does, and you know he's had longevity. So when 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 he's ready to stop, he'll just slide to the side. But he'll still probably be producing, you know, because he's putting his you know third generation P Funk out there. He's putting them out there. So they're gonna be taking the, you know, the baton will be passed. Do you, do you get down to Florida at all and do any any recording still or? Oh, they record all the time. No, you, you. Oh, yeah, I'm working on a few things. Probably by the summertime, I'll have something out. Something along the jazz, funk kind of thing. Under uh, the Greg Thomas name? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because have you, have you ever put one out on your name? No. I don't think so. Nope. Not yet, but it's in the it's, it's it's stirring in the pot. It's brewing. Yeah, yeah maybe with some uh, P Funk guests. Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. We're you know we're looking forward to that. It's coming up. Yeah, definitely look forward to that. And Benny had his, so yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> Real excited about it. Yeah, well, I'm excited too. So, do you want to uh, play us any other uh, couple of licks before we uh, get on out of here? <laughs> uh, what can I play? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Funk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Love that. Yeah. <laughs> One of my all-time favorites for sure. Yes, sir. So anything else you want to uh, say to the fans? I want to say ever funking on. We're not gone anywhere. We're still here. Come check us out. You can look, uh, look for us at georgeclinton.com. Be on the lookout for new tour dates. <laughs> Excellent. Greg, hey, man, thank you so much for spending the time and sharing memories with us and, and be on the show. Thank you, sir. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. All right. Take good care. Thank you. Peace. <laughs> hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube. Go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also, goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing, and it is a beautiful thing, all coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the FunkinStuff.net website. On the right-hand side of every page, you just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also, drop me a line. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. 
You'll find that I respond very quickly, and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show, The True Music Lover. So for now, that's all the time we have for this one. It's a wrap. As always, Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one. <laughs>